It is a privilege, Lord, to come and open up the scriptures that you inspired the prophets and the apostles. Everything that was inspired by the Holy Spirit is true. Everything said about Jesus is true. And so we praise your your glorious name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit without whose ministry we would be in the darkness because we know that it is the Spirit that reveals truth to us and enables us to come to Jesus. So open up, as we open up this word this evening, may Jesus be glorified as he deserves. In his great name we pray, amen. Our section this evening is verses in John 8, verses 31 through 47. I won't take the time to read through it because we're going to go through it verse by verse anyway. Now, as we've been seeing in John chapter 8, and actually in in several chapters before that, that Jesus has been confronting uh, the Jews about who he is. Now, in our previous section, in verse 24 of of John 8, we saw that Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in, in your sins. And in other words, one must believe that Jesus indeed is the anointed one of God, meaning that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. And that if we don't believe that, then we're actually of the spirit of Antichrist. We won't look at 1 John 2 again. We've looked at it several times. And there it says that the spirit of Antichrist is that spirit that doesn't believe that that Jesus or that God has come in the flesh. And there in 1 John 2, it says, if we do believe that, it's because the Spirit has anointed us to believe that. So the, the ability to confess who Jesus really is, to confess that he is the Lord, means that uh, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's only by Uh, that work of the Spirit. In fact, we're going to see without that anointing of the Spirit, no one can understand. No one can call Jesus Lord except through the power of the Spirit. So now in verse, you know, we ended last week in verse 30 in Jesus' confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says there in verse 30, as he spoke these things, Many came to believe in him. Now, the question that we got to ask here, and it's this, this section to follow, which is the message tonight, is very intriguing and can be a confusing section unless we recognize something. Is this believing in Jesus of those in verse 30, is that a saving belief? Is it, does that mean that all those who were said to believe in him did, were they genuine Christians? Well, the answer to that question, Jesus gives the answer to that question in verses 31 and following. And it's going to be kind of shocking to us to know what the answer is because Jesus now turns his attention from the scribes to the, and the Pharisees to some of these Jews who said they believed in him. 
Now, believing in Jesus in itself, believing in Jesus is not necessarily being a genuine disciple of Christ as we're going to see. It doesn't mean necessarily that we have a saving knowledge of Christ. So it is vital, vital for us to understand what this believing in Jesus, how the Bible uses believing in Jesus in the various contexts, or we'll be confused. Now, if you just turn back just a few chapters in John to John chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, notice what Jesus said there. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Beholding his signs which he was doing, but notice what verse 24 says, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men and because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man for himself, he himself knew what was in man. So even though it says they believed in him, even though they recognize some of the value of the signs, remember the purpose of the signs that Jesus performed was to point, as John says, the whole theme of the book of John, his gospel account, is to prove that Jesus really is the Messiah. And so they believed in him in a sense, but then it says Jesus was not entrusting himself to them, being God that he is, he knew what was in their heart, and that's why he didn't trust himself to them. So th here's an example where some are said to believe in him, but Jesus didn't claim them. Now let's turn over to Acts chapter 12, and we'll see another instance later in, uh, in the life of Peter. Philip, turn over to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to pick up at verse 12 and following. Now, Philip, who was a deacon, was also an evangelist in the scripture. And he went up to Samaria to preach the gospel. In verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon, now this is Simon Magus. He himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And he observed signs and great miracles taking place. And he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down, prayed with them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, 
so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right with God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves that nothing of what you have said will come upon me. So the amazing thing about that is Simon Magus is said to have believed and was baptized. But then he wants to offer money because Simon historically, he was a magician. He was basically an illusionist of his time and he realized what was happening was not the fake thing. It was a real thing. He said, I want this power. I want it. Offered the money, but Peter says, you better repent. And, and, and the term, the reason I've turn, had us turn to this passage is it says that Simon believed, but then it says, he is in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity or sin. Now we're going to see that that being in the bondage of sin is very significant as we look through John 8. So turn back to John 8. And, and again, the reason I've had us look at these passages is to demonstrate to you, you got to study the passage closely and just because it says believe isn't a necessarily a saving belief. So, now notice here in, in our exegesis of this section of Scripture that it is paramount for us to understand there is no extra group that has arrived from verse 30 to verse 31. There's no other people that have shown up. So what Jesus is about to say in verses 31 and following is to the same group that is said to have believed in him in some sense in verse 30. Now that's important. It is Jesus, if you look at verse 31, Jesus says, if you abide or if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, really disciples of mine. Now we saw in John chapter six, did we not, that there were many people who were called disciples of Jesus, but who were offended by Jesus when he said, you gotta eat my, my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, hold on here. And as a result of that, it says in John six, that many of those, quote, disciples of Jesus left him to follow him no more, which precipitated Jesus to say to the, to the 12, with the exception of Judas, who he called a demon in that passage, are you gonna, go, are you gonna leave me too? And that's when Peter says, well, well who are we gonna go to? Who has the world's of, of eternal life but you, Jesus? So again, being a disciple simply means a follower. And there are a lot of followers of Jesus 
who were offended. And we're going to see these followers of Jesus, these people who in verse 30 were said to have believed in Jesus, they're going to become very hostile towards Jesus. And the intensity is going to be great between Jesus and these Jews here. So what we see here, when Jesus says, if, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you got to continue my word. Now, we've talked about Greek tenses in the past, and we saw that the present tense conveys ongoing action, meaning a lifestyle. If you're really a disciple of mine, you, you'll believe my word. You'll continue in everything that I say. You're not going to challenge what I say. Now, look at verse 32. It says, and you... And you shall know the truth. He's talking about if you're a really disciple, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now remember, Simon Magus is said to have believed and yet he was said to be in, a, in the bondage to sin. So to be in bondage to sin is to be a slave of sin. It is, and, and a slave to sin is one who is overcome by the sin. Well, it, it means that, one, that sin is the master of that person's life. They, they can't help but sin. They, um, in other words, you need to be delivered from that bondage. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, Jesus said. By the way, in that, that, that phrase, you shall know the truth and it will set you free. I forget what part of the UN, the United Nations, that verse is part up on the United Nations. If there was ever a blasphemous use of that verse, there it is. And then I, you, you see it used badly by people in a way so far out of context, it's, it's just unbelievable how it's used out of context like, like that. So to this same group of people that Jesus has been talking to now who, quote, believed in him, he says in verse 33, notice they, these Jews are responding to what Jesus said. And they said, well, they answered him saying, we're Abraham's offspring and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? They want to know, we haven't been a slave. What are you talking about, Jesus? And then Jesus responds to him in verse 34. Look what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Now, that phrase, truly, truly, this is not the only instance that's used in Scripture. And here's what truly, truly means. Actually, in the Greek, it is amen, amen. It's a double amen. In other words, it's used in a way by Jesus to say, you better pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Truly, truly, listen up what I'm about to say. It, it conveys an authoritative uh, comment by the Lord himself. Remember, actually, it was used in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, uh, the great <clears throat> part of the, the Sanhedrin, came to him at night. 
and uh, wanted to talk to Jesus. And, and that's when Jesus says, Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, you got to be born of the Spirit if you're going to see the kingdom of God. So what Jesus is saying here in verse 34, everyone who commits sin, again, Greek tenses are important. Here again is the present tense. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin and is in need to be delivered. That's what he said. We're not slaves. No, everyone who continues in a lifestyle of sin is a slave of sin and needs to be set free. You know, in this regard, I remember years ago when I was in the navigator ministry in college, we had a navigator training program in Birmingham, Alabama. Are some of you familiar with Frank Barker? Frank Barker was pastor for many, many years at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Uh, it was PCA church, became a PCA church. And the first sermon at our conference that I ever heard on predestination was preached by Frank Barker, which caused me to go back trying to talk to my, my buddy. And I gave an Arminian explanation because I didn't know how to deal with this idea of predestination. Well, Frank Barker talks about he became a, uh, eventually a pastor when he was not a Christian. <laughs> he was converted after he was in the ministry. And one time before he got into the ministry, he was talking about when he, he was a Navy pilot and he talked about <clears throat> he was interested in the things of the Lord. And he kept saying one time, he says, you know, if it wasn't my buddies who kept dragging me down, I'd be a better guy. And then he said, all of, I real, all of a sudden I realized, I like doing these things. I like doing these sinful things. It's not their fault. It's my fault. So he, he was a slave. He admitted he's a, he was a slave to his sin. Now, turn over to Romans 6 for a moment. What the Apostle Paul said, beginning in verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin, meaning freed from the bondage of sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Then jump down to verse 15 and following of Romans 6. What then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace may it never be? Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? In other words, everyone is a slave. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness. There's no in-between. We're well one or the other. But thanks be to God that though you that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed 
from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So what we see here, turning back to John 8, This idea of being in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin, is a lifestyle. And if that is the case in our lives, we really need to have someone set us free. Now, these Jews, quote, who believed in Jesus said, we've never been slaves, Jesus. What are you talking about? But remember, Jesus knows the heart. There's something different about these people. Now look at verse 35 and 36, John 8. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, this idea of the slave remaining in the house forever. What Jesus is pointing out to them is this, these Jews believed, hey, Abraham's our father. We're physical descendants of him. We're, we're national Israel. We're not like the pagans out there. We're different. We are the covenant people of God. And one of the things that Jesus is saying that just because you are in the Jewish church and you're in the Jewish nation, you were referred to as God's firstborn son. Israel was called in the Old Testament God's firstborn son. Now, you got to be careful there because we, we have the tendency to think, well, if you're called a son, then you're automatically in the kingdom. You go, wait a minute. Because not all of Israel is Israel, Paul said. Jerusalem, by opposing the gospel of Christ, that gospel which proclaimed liberty to the captives, that covenant that they were under, the Mosaic covenant, was it engendered bondage. Now, turn over to Galatians 4 for a moment. Turn over to Galatians 4 to understand what Jesus is getting at. Now, of course, Paul wrote Galatians. We have a use of an allegory in Galatians 4. And verses 22 through 28 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery uh, with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For none are the children. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. 
And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. So what Jesus is getting at in all of that comment, he says, look, look what he says in verse 37, John 8. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, but you seek to kill me. Hold on here. I know you're Abraham's offspring, but you're trying to kill me. There's no other group here. It's the the people who are trying to kill Jesus are the same people who in verse 30 says they believed in him in some sense. And so what we see here, Jesus is, is very blunt with these Jews. And he's blunt because he knows what's in their hearts. He's not, he knows what they're thinking. And Jesus says, yeah, I know you're a descendant from Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. Now, we, we've seen already in John, have we not? There were many plots to kill Jesus. And it, became, it began to escalate. They sent out people. We saw in John uh, 7, they actually sent out officials to arrest Jesus. And they said, they came back with no Jesus. And they said, why, where, where is he? We sent you out to get him. And he says, well, no one talks like this man. In other words, it was having an impact on those people that were out to supposedly arrest him. So Jesus says, notice what he says there in verse 37. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. None. Now, what did he say up here in verse 31? If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you abide in my word. Down here in verse 38, he says, or verse 37, my word has no place in you. You're not continuing in my word because if you were continuing my word, you wouldn't have the attitude of trying to kill me. My word has no place in you. Here's the point. You can be a physical descendant of Abraham, but not a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And after all, that's what, that's what Paul said and over in Romans 9, 6, and 7. Um, let me just mention that passage because it's so important. Romans 9. Verse three and following, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, meaning my fellow Jews, who are Israelites to whom belong the adoption as sons, see, they're called sons, and the glory of the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers, from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God blessed forever. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. 
neither are they all children because they are Abraham's seed. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Paul is simply echoing what Jesus had preached here, like in John 8. And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth because I came from the Father. That's, that's who sent me. And there in, in John 8, he says, I speak the things, verse 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my Father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Now here, this is interesting. Jesus is contrasting him being from his father and you being from your father. I'm from my father, you have a father too, but we're not of the same father because you're trying to kill me. That's the proof you're not of my father. Because if if you were of my father, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. You would believe what I was, was saying. Now, in, in verse 39, what, what essentially Jesus is saying is, Abraham, you claim to be a child of Abraham. You claim to be his descendants. But you're liars. Because Abraham would never have, do, have done what you are seeking to do. Not in the least. And so what he is saying to these, quote, believers, you're liars. I am, I'm from my father. You have another father. And again, these Jews, they, they say here in, in verse 41, notice it says, Jesus is saying, you are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. In other words, what they're saying is, hey, we're not pagans. We're, we're not idol worshipers. We worship the true God. We follow Moses. He says, so we're, we're not children of fornication. And, and, and so Jesus says to him in verse 20, 42, notice what Jesus says to them when they, in response to them saying, we're not children of fornication. We're, we're not, we're not uh, worshipers of pagan gods. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, initiative, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Verse 43. Abraham, you claim to be a a child of Abraham, but you're not doing the deeds of Abraham. Abraham believed in me. Later on in John 8, we're going to see Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Abraham did not waver with respect to the promises of God, Romans 4. Abraham was a righteous man who was seeking to obey God's commands. Don't call Abraham your father because there's not even a comparison between you and Abraham. You're not doing the deeds of Abraham. Because Abraham would not be seeking, would not have killed me. But you, you're trying to kill me. I have my father, you have your father. Now he's going to get, Jesus and get real personal in his attack on them here. He says in verse 43, he, he, he asks them a question, but then he responds to his own question. Why is it that you don't understand what I'm saying? I'll tell you why. It's because, notice what he says here in verse 43. The reason you don't understand is because you cannot hear my word. Notice that. You cannot hear my word. You don't have the capacity to hear my word. And the reason you can't hear my word, you're still in the bondage to sin. I know you've said you're not in the bondage to sin, but I'm telling you, you got to be delivered. The son's got to set you free. But you are still in the bondage of iniquity. And he says, your father, your father, your father, is the devil. Now, just just think for a moment how that came across to that group. (laughs) You talk about a a stinging accusation. You're calling us the children of the devil? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's who you are. Because you're trying to kill me. Abraham wouldn't have done that. You cannot hear my word. You don't have the capacity because you're still in the bondage of iniquity, just like Simon Magus who wanted to buy uh, the, the miracles of God with money was a slave. So are you still a slave? Jesus says in verse 44, he says, your father is the devil because he says you want to do the desires of your father. And then he says, your father, he says, your father, he he was a murderer from the beginning, talking about the devil, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him at all. Now, from the beginning, what did he mean from the beginning? Well, the, the beginning of creation, specifically referring to the Garden of Eden, where God had given the command to Adam and Eve, you can eat of every 
tree of the garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, the day you eat of that tree, you shall die. Now that's what God said. So Jesus says, the devil has been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Now, how is he a murderer? Well, by the way, um, the murderer, he was, uh, the, he's, one of the names given to the devil in the scripture is Abaddon, meaning the destroyer. And that's what, uh, that, what who the devil has always been. Why was he a murderer? When he tempted Eve to doubt God in his word, he was guilty of murder because you see, and here's where he, he is a deceiver, where he's a liar. Jesus says he was a liar from the beginning. In fact, the devil is the father of lies. Do you remember how the devil tempted Eve? He says, now look, did God really say you would die if you ate of the tree? Look, look, Eve, God doesn't want you to be as wise as he is knowing good and evil. You're not going to die, Eve, if you eat of the tree. And God is, is jealous towards you. Well, that was a big lie if there ever was. And he deceived Eve. And Adam openly transgressed by eating of the fruit. So, in the beginning, the devil was doing his diabolical work. Another name of the devil is diabolos. It's where we get the name diabolical. He is diabolical. There is nothing good in him. He is the epitome he is the epitome of evil in his demonic realm. They have no capacity whatsoever to do any good. They, they are as sinful as you can imagine. Now, verse 45, Jesus says, now this, isn't this interesting what, he's, how, what he says here? But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Well, wait a minute. It said in verse 31 that these Jews had believed him. And, but now he's saying, if you speak the truth, you, because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Now, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why don't you believe me? So twice now he says, you're not believing me. You're not believing me. Well, the answer to that, that question is, why don't you believe? Look at verse 47. There's, there's the answer. Verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God for this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Do you remember what we saw in John 6, what Jesus said? 
No man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. But everyone who comes to me, I will raise up on the last day. The reason people don't come to Jesus is because they don't have the capacity. They don't have, as it were, they don't have spiritual ears to hear. You remember several times Jesus, when he preached, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some will hear, and some hearing will actually hear. Some who hear do not actually hear. In other words, they they don't have the capacity. We're going to see in John chapter 10 when we get there that it says that the sheep know the voice of of the shepherd. My sheep hear me and follow me. Now, the term sheep refers to the elect of God. And so what we see here, you and I, we have got to have spiritual ears. So when the the gospel is preached, you're going to find various responses to it. Some are going to mock, some are going to wonder, just like Paul found out in the city of Athens. Some says, you're, you're crazy, Paul. <laughs> you're preaching this Jesus raised from the dead. That's nonsense. Some say, well, yo, we've never heard of this. We'll hear you another day. And others says they did believe him. Now, that believing is a believing in a saving sense there in that context. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we conclude here. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. It says, and for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Why did the Thessalonians believe Paul as opposed to some other itinerant preachers that passed through? They knew when they heard Paul preach, they knew in their hearts, this is God speaking. This is God. Who told them that? Well, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told them that. That's why. These Thessalonians who actually believed heard the preaching with spiritual ears and believed to the saving of their souls. 
So Jesus is saying, if you, if, if you don't believe what I'm saying about who I am, you're not of God. You're just not of God. You know, when we talk to people in evangelism about Jesus, that nothing has changed in, in nearly 2,000 years. You know why the church was persecuted by the Romans? is because of their narrow-mindedness. You know, Rome actually tolerated various uh, religions. They tolerated Judaism, in a sense. It, it, what got the Christians in trouble is, Rome says, as long as you go into an appointed temple and just give homage to Caesar as divine, you're okay. You're good to go. Well, guess what? The Christians weren't willing to do that. Consequently, they were viewed as enemies of the state. And that's why they were persecuted. And it's why Christians have been persecuted down through the ages. You know, one of the things you're going to find is that you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. And today in the United States, we need to be what? Diverse, right? We need to be diverse. We need to be pluralists. No, we don't. You know, when, when in Acts, Paul says, um, when the apostles came preaching, it says, the Jews who were upset with that said, there are those who are saying there is another king being preached besides Caesar. See, the, the Christians preached Jesus king, not Caesar. And throughout history, you're going to find people, when you talk to them about Christ, they're going, I want, they're going to try to pin you saying, you, you, you cannot say all these other religions are wrong. Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I think I told you in the past, probably 30 years ago, I was painting on this lady's house. Her husband was an elder in a, what turns out to be a liberal Presbyterian church. So subtract 35 years off of my age now. So to this lady, I was a young man. She, so I'm painting on her shutters down in the basement. She knew I was a preacher. She says, you know, John, one day you're gonna find out that truth is not black and white, but it's a shade of gray. Now, I'm painting on the shutters, and she says that, and I look up and smile, and I go, Mrs. So-and-so, let me ask you a question. What do you think that Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes into the Father but by me. I said, now, is that black or white or a shade of gray? She goes, no one has ever asked me that kind of question. <laughs> the world, the world, they're going to try to get us to try to, to have another, another way to be saved besides Jesus. You know, we're seeing John 10, verse 1, Jesus says, Unless a man enters by the door into the sheepfold, but, but seeks to climb up 
Another way is a thief and a robber. I am the door. He who enters by me shall be saved. There is no other way. And so Jesus is saying to these, if you really believe me, you Jews, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. You would actually believe I came from the Father. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand these glorious truths. We thank you that you've given us spiritual ears to hear to the saving of our souls. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.